Welcome to Original Podcast, Do Not Steal, a podcast where every week I, and usually my wonderful co-host Amber Autumn, but she's still gone. Where'd she go? I don't know. Amber Retrieval Arc is still going. Choji's gonna die, but not really. My guest this week is... My name is Rebecca, and I've been friends with Devin for... Oh, fuck. <laughs> 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 um, it's been like 11 years. We were in school. A oh, fuck. Time is... Real. Yeah, that, that made me depressed. I'm going to go buy some retinol cream, but um, <laughs> here we go. But yeah, this is Becca, wonderful co-host. She is the most prepared I've ever had a co-host or guest be. There's a whole script I'm looking at, audience. He's it's... really gassing me up, and I promise I will not deliver. But Becca, speaking of gassing you up, I got to gas you up to the audience and make you feel like a real person, because part of this podcast is the attempt to monetize my friendship with Amber to make money, and that can't happen unless the audience think we're people. So... Yay, capitalism. Woo! So here is a question to let the audience get to know you. What is something you think is underrated, and what is something you think is overrated? Okay, let's see. Um, overrated? Sorry, y'all. I feel like I don't get a say most of the time because I'm vegetarian, but I ate meat for the first 23 years of my life, and bacon-wrapped everything is just... Yeah. I, I feel like you pay an eight extra dollars for soggy salt meat. I don't know. It's just It's just... I'm over it. Like I want a shirt. That's that's the first merch. It's a bacon strip and it just says soggy salt meat. <laughs> <laughs> I would buy that. <laughs> there we go. We're brainstorming. And then something that is underrated. It, it's in South Bend, but um, there's a Asian market called Saigon, and don't ask me why, but every they have this tradition on Fridays where they open super late in the afternoon, but as soon as they open, they have gone to Chinatown in Chicago and they picked up a bunch of food. And I tried, they're called ube. Have you ever had ube before? Uh, they talk about it on Steven Universe. That's uh, the cake large. Oh, made. yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't. So they have these sweet rolls that are filled with, like, ube jam. And holy fuck. Ube jam should be everywhere. That does sound awesome. Actually. I have to bring you one. They're delicious. I don't really know how to describe it. You wouldn't think that if I was like, hey, it's a sweet roll filled with sweet potato jam. You'd be like, yeah, okay next i'd but, be like well i don't like sweet potatoes so. but I, if i didn't tell you you wouldn't know but it's like this crazy deep purple color slaps everybody look up ube jam if you live near an asian market ube ube it up all right ube me Actually, ube me mommy <laughs> this podcast is off to a great start <laughs> we're doing so good <laughs> i'm a genius but anyways today Becca, you, I approached you to be a guest on the Amber Retrieval Arc, and you came with me with Studio Ghibli, a studio I'm not as familiar with as I should be as a fucking nerd with a cult, <laughs> culture, as a nerd with a media podcast. So take it away. I don't really have a lot to say, so the floor is yours, man. All right, here we go. So I tried to give this some kind of title so that I stayed on track and I didn't like word vomit all over my little journal here. So I tried to call it the powerful and sometimes hard reality of psychology in Studio Ghibli films, which to kind of sum up in a less textbooky way is like, why does Studio Ghibli make us feel good? Why do we, why are we so connected to these movies, you know, between the magical worlds and the endless cottage core and the handsome men? I also want to touch on the things that connect to us as people living in the dystopian nightmare in our 20s going into our 30s and I think that um, one particular movie really sums up the millennial experience better than I ever would have expected. So Kiki's Delivery Service first came out in 1989 in Japan and then in 1998 in America and it's actually based on a Japanese novel just called Express Home Delivery. So for those of you that haven't seen it, I'll kind of make a rundown of the movie and then just kind of make my points as I go. I'm going to do my best to stay organized. So to begin the film, you have this opening shot of Kiki's hometown. It's this beautiful village of cottages. The opening scene is our protagonist, Kiki, laying on a hillside filled with wildflowers, staring up at a lake. The clouds are rolling by. And... I feel like this is actually significant, and I'll touch on it again later as to why, but 
Kiki is laying on her back, listening to the radio and staring at the sky, and the radio announces that tonight it's going to be a full moon, a clear night, and according to witch culture, witches leave home at age 13 um, on, on the night of the full moon, and they go to a new place for a year, a new city, a new town, and they find themselves and they develop their magic. So... Kiki hears this and runs home, excited as can be, because she's decided she's going to leave tonight. And she made her broom herself, and she puts on a brand new outfit. She's very, a fashion-forward little 13-year-old, but um, in proper witch tradition, she dons a black, or maybe it's dark blue gown. Um, she has a familiar, her cat, it's a black cat named Gigi, who can speak to her. So her friends and family from the village gather around while she takes off into the night sky, and from this point on, everything goes wrong. So Kiki struggles to fly with weather conditions. Uh, she makes it to the new... wherever she's going. They, they don't ever say the name, but it's this European-inspired 1950s big city. Where she came from, the houses are on hilltops far away from each other, and the roads are dirt paved where you speak to your neighbors as they ride past you on bicycles. And this is a big contrast. It's a large city. Girls are wearing pants. <laughs> she was just a small town witch, and she, now she's moving to the big city. She sure is. It's like if you went to Chicago for the first time with absolutely no context and didn't know how to cross busy streets and pe don't look people in the eyes. Oh, so the first time I went to Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> and everything's expensive and uh, basically she gets there. Um, and there's sushi in the Walgreens. Oh, don't eat the sushi in the Walgreens. <laughs> um, but she gets there, she almost causes a car accident, she gets yelled at by the police, people are staring, people are rude. All around, it's kind of this culture shock and rude awakening because as excited as she was, she really didn't know what she was in for. Her expectations of the big city are displayed on her face. <laughs> Luckily for her, uh, she meets a woman named Asano who runs a bakery with her husband. And upon doing her a favor of delivering a pacifier to a customer who had gotten blocks away on her broom, they make a deal with each other that Kiki can stay with her in their spare room and she will help in the bakery. Um, and in the meanwhile, Kiki decides that based on that interaction, she's going to start a delivery service. And that's how she's going to focus her magic and establish herself in this year that she's taking. So she starts making deliveries and trying to fit in in this city. Her fashion is behind. She has no money. <laughs> and it's just, it's kind of a mess. Like anybody making a big transition in life. Um, there's a particular delivery where she is taking a cat figurine or like a stuffed animal to a client and there's a storm, she loses it in the woods, so she drops Gigi off as a replacement and he stands very still and she looks around in the woods trying to find it and eventually comes to the cabin of a woman named Ursula, um, who's an important character, she's an artist, and in exchange for fixing the doll that broke um, as it fell from the sky, she cleans her house, and this is important because they establish a relationship and become friends. So as she's moving forward, again, you see this shift in her personality. At the beginning of the movie, Kiki has this, uh, you know, her mother is reminding her to smile, make a good impression, and she's so eager to please, and she has high hopes, and you start to see that become less and less um, as the movie moves on. She's tired. She's eating the same thing every day because she can't afford to buy a bunch of other things. Um, I mean, the cost of living is just expensive. She doesn't have luxuries. She's lonely without her support system for the first time. And something, Devin actually said this earlier before we began filming, but taking something that you love and monetizing it often takes the value away. Um, and this is important because after a really awful delivery where Kiki is caught in a storm and the client is incredibly rude and she's it's nighttime, she's soaking wet, she even gets sick from it and isn't able to work for 
a day or two, she's bedridden. Uh, she wakes up one morning and realizes that she's lost her magic. She can no longer speak to Gigi and she can no longer fly. But at this point, she's terrified. She doesn't want to return home as a failure. She doesn't know how to get her magic back. She doesn't have anyone to ask, which is are not common anymore, um, which is something I'll touch on later. But without anyone to guide her, she can't continue her business. She's not going to make any money. So she goes back to the woods to see the friend that she made named Ursula. And they have a particular conversation with a quote that I think kind of starts to begin my point. So what Kiki is suffering from is something that's very familiar for pretty much every single one of us. Burnout. Burnout. Oh, listen to this and see if it hits home somewhere. Not knowing what to do, Ursula says to Kiki, just stop trying. Take long walks. Look at the scenery. Doze off at noon and don't even think about flying. And then, pretty soon, you will be flying again. Kiki spends the night in this cabin with Ursula, who is an artist, and art is another significant theme when it comes to the connotations of mental health in this movie. And Kiki does another delivery when she's back home, and she doesn't take her broom, she walks. She walks around the city and she takes in the sights, and it seems to kind of rejuvenate her. She starts to feel a little bit better. And then she runs into somebody that she met in town. His name is Tombo. He's a very eccentric boy who is fascinated with her because he's never seen a witch and she flies and he loves flying machines. But when she's around his friends, she just kind of shuts down um, and goes home. And there's a particular quote where she says, this is in the Japanese version, and it translates to something to, I think there's something wrong with me. I make friends and then suddenly I can't bear to be with any of them. Seems like the other me, the cheerful and the honest one, just went away somewhere. And that hits home for me, boy howdy! If anybody has ever reached burnout before, that lovely, lovely, exhausted feeling where you still have to get out of bed every day and pay your bills and go to work and be responsible, but you're so tired. Um, the actual definition of burnout is a form of exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged emotional, physical, and mental stress. And the symptoms of it range from anything from anxiety, a lack of sleep, uh, excess fatigue, a lack of creativity and purpose, emotional numbness, and a cynical outlook on life. So at this point in the movie, Kiki is experiencing a bout of burnout and really something that she just doesn't even probably have a frame of reference for, which is depression. And being a 13, I mean, most of us don't move out of our homes and be without some form of support system at 13. Well, we do it much later in life, but the hey, fact still stands. If Ash Ketchum could do it. That's true. He was the best. <laughs> and he did it with his rat. <laughs> his electric rat. There's another quote in the movie that kind of like leads me to my next point of the connection between art and our mental health, a.k.a. our magic. So the artist Ursula, her friend in the woods, says, painting and magical powers seem to be very much the same. If we don't recover ourselves, if we don't find a balance, then we lose our magic. So I was reading a study about uh, the neuroplasticity of the brain, how creating art or, I mean, whether you want to call it art or magic, our serotonin production goes up and our cortisol levels go down. There was a study, I'm trying to, I'm going to butcher his name, but um, his name is Professor Zemir Zeki. He was the director of neuroaesthetics at the University of London, I believe. And he did a, like a study where they looked at the lobes of the brain while a person was looking at something they considered to be beautiful, like artwork. Blood flow to these areas of the brain increased by 10%, which is the equivalent of looking at a loved one. Hmm. And so I think this is significant because the themes kind of overlap over and over. Artwork, mental health, our magic, and just how hard it is to figure it all out, especially when you're all alone. So I want to take a minute, um, when I talked about the opening scene at the beginning, 
and how it contrasts to the big city that Kiki moves to. Um, and really a reflection of the old and new and why it's significant. So at the beginning, when Kiki is laying on this hill, staring at the sky, it's everything that at least a lot of people want. I mean, why is cottagecore such an amazing aesthetic? It's because it, it's this organic and simplistic way of life. And we, we want that so bad. We look at these Instagram pages or we see it on Pinterest or we see it on TikTok and we want to escape the reality. We're always looking for that. We want a life that we've never lived. The grass is always greener, however you want to put it. Fields of flowers, unpaved roads, simplistic living, a rejection of the modern. But what's interesting about Kiki from the beginning is she has those things. A cottage covered in vines, filled with wildflowers, beautiful scapes, rolling hills, and she doesn't want it. She's quite the modern girl when you think about it. She wants to wear the fashion that she can't afford. She has carrying a radio everywhere she goes. She wants to move to the big city. She has all these things that we want. We want the home, we want the freedom, and she's sick of it, and she wants to get away from it. It's noted in the movie that witches are considered a relic of the past. And there's even a quote from the book that um, talks about how noises and distractions of the modern world actually disrupt the ability to perform magic. So based on that, Kiki is, it's, it, it, it sounds terrible to put it like this, but she's setting herself up for failure, but she doesn't know it. So the settings, the, you know, this, Euro 1950s city compared to something you would see in a postcard. Yeah, honestly, like photos in an antique store, paintings. I mean, I don't know about you, but boy, would I love to quit my job and go <laughs> and start a garden and wear my apron every day and make tea in the sun. Yeah, pull up of any <clears throat> any number of tweets that are basically we should all be naked in the forest. So we come to my point that this is in a lot of ways is the millennial experience. Um, I mean, there's obviously no shame in this absolute clusterfuck of a country to not be living on your own, but many of us are. We're seeking independence. Um, we're trying to prove ourselves, find ourselves, create careers, have some kind of saving and plan for the future. But Kiki is doing all of these things simultaneously. Um, without us even realizing it. And I think that's why we can connect to this movie. She joins the workforce. She moves out. Her living space is small and undesirable. She works long hours, is broke, has no experience living or navigating in a city, becomes depressed and lost her support system. And all of that is painfully real. Yeah, I... <laughs> so, I've never seen Kiki's Deliver. I've seen trailers, and, like, when I picture it, it's, like, the song from Little Nemo playing in that one shot where, like, she shoots up sideways on the broomstick. And as you've described <laughs> it, I've been like, that doesn't sound like that trailer at all. Well, it's funny. The um, So, there were two releases of Kiki's Delivery Service. The first one um, was very Disney-fied, um, and it had a lot more sarcastic commentary and um something that i wish they didn't do is they will always put music over the quiet scenes but i think quiet scenes in studio ghibli have a lot to say to be a nerd on my fucking media podcast but to be a nerd it's the difference between the original japanese release of the first digimon movie where the end scene where they're fighting diaboramon to emphasize every second counts it's in slow-mo and it's set to this slow operatic song and you watch the american version and <laughs> it's sped up by two and we're playing fucking butt rock over it is, is that the one where it's i'm going digital oh, is no, that the song no no which, that, which part of the movie that? that's that's just standard digimon i love all like run around and going digital all that oh. dumb shit but they're playing like there's less than jake is in that movie how how much does that date they're playing like digimon jimmy movie. eat world and shit yeah it's <laughs> It's rough, but I'm, like, here for it. I fucking love that movie. I uh. love the Jima movie so fucking much. <laughs> I will be on walks to myself, and I'll just go, Colorado, why there? Cause it's why there? 
are. Every line of that fucking movie. Oh, I'm going to get distracted. But when Davis goes, that's the saddest story I've ever heard. And then Willis is like, it didn't happen to you, Davis. And he goes, oh, okay. My favorite thing about the movie is the fact that in the English version, they just kind of like glossed over the fact that uh, Willis is American and the rest of them are Japanese. And they just like get there and they're like, hey, what's up? We're like communicating no problem. But, you know, we're just, we don't talk about that. Ash Ketchum left home at 10. Ash Ketchum left home at 10. All of the Digi-Dustin from season two can speak perfect English. It's fine. It is fine. You know what? Good for them. Congratulations. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and complain about the internal consistency of Digimon. It's kind of, it's my, it's one of my favorite fucking things, but like. It's so hard to go back and rewatch season one. It, it. It just didn't age great, but I'm st- I'm here for it, you I, know. I I th- I'm I don't want to fight you on this, but I actually think it's aged pretty fucking well. Oh no! <laughs> it's it's still one of the well, well not now because I think like Steven Universe. There's the whole scene where he's in the car with his dad, right? But like Digimon's one of the first shows I remember having parents matter, which your parents do when you're a kid and that was very important for me digimon is what taught me what a character arc is so i'll love it forever for that and it's very blunt force trauma literally last episode they just uh, ties like and this is how i've grown but i wouldn't have known if they didn't do it to me like that i was definitely a cringy kid who like spent a summer wearing goggles on my forehead because not because i was going to the pool or the beach but because i wanted to be a protagonist <clears throat> that's how you do it well listen i Bless my mother, because I had the Naruto headbands, and she was like, I can't let my son go to school in the fucking headbands. She saved you many years of painful ridicule. Oh, that would have been terrible. Fucking, I don't even like Naruto anymore. I mean, we all had a cringy Naruto, uh, like, or like your first email address, you know? Mine was definitely, like, Naruto Jedi one two three four i remember my aim password to this day was almo is emo and gay at gmail.com i know at aim.com yeah that that uh boy that sounds like adolescence yep see it fits right along with my theme here we're talking about growing up we're talking about being sad i was just about to say millennial shit just like kiki's delivery service (laughs) to sum this up I think it's really important to reflect on, like, I mean, when we think of Studio Ghibli, we think of the really wonderful elements, but obviously it's relatable in kind of a sad way. We are watching ourselves grow up, almost. So when Kiki loses her ability to talk to Gigi, it's actually, at least to me, a childish representation of almost like an imaginary friend. And... Um, One thing that, again, with the English dub that they changed originally, that they kept in the Japanese, and they redid the Disneyfied 1998 version, and they kind of made it more authentic to the Japanese. And I think this is significant because um, at the end of the movie, after there's some climax with the clock tower that I'm not going to go into, and it's not in the book, I think they were just like, we need this cool ending that's really not that important. To her growth or the meaning to the movie but um at the end of the movie kiki has able to fly again and she has found her magic and she kind of starts to fit in and find her find a rhythm in her new world and in the original version Gigi said something snarky when he when they are reunited but at the end of the movie in japanese Gigi doesn't say anything Ooh. and i think that's important to leave it that way because she doesn't need him anymore she needs i mean he's who the fuck doesn't need their cat but she doesn't need him to be her guide anymore and it's kind of sad but i kind of view it as like a an acceptance of childhood being over it's ellie leaving joel's guitar behind at the end of last of us 2 that's an important pointed decision and to not do it changes what the ending is saying There is a particular scene at the beginning of the movie when she's leaving her family and um, she was supposed to go on a camping trip with her father and she cancels it because she's going to leave tonight. Um, And at one point she asks him to pick her up and spin her around like he did when she was little and he manages to do it and then drops down into his arms and gives him a big hug and he asks her when she grew up and when she got so big. 
Um, and there's a poem by an unknown author called The Last Time. And it's basically from the perspective of a parent saying that someday you will pick up your child and it will be the last time. As we get older and man, that just hits you right in the feels and I don't have children. <laughs> um, but it made me think of that because again, this movie really is just about leaving behind traditions and our childhoods and the things we're the most familiar with and trekking into this scary territory of things that are uncomfortable and we have to grow from them. And to be cliche, I guess I'll just kind of wrap this up by stating that this ending is a reminder that this discomfort and this way of life, no matter how difficult it feels, it is temporary and it will be okay. Things do get easier. Take that from me, <laughs> somebody who has absolutely somehow stumbled my way into being 27, which is gross, but here we are. Hard work and self-care have to exist in a balance. And for me, that balance is going to work and then, I don't know, I tend to my garden. I read my library books. I'm not very exciting. I don't take much, but um, I push myself outside of my comfort zone in little ways. And that's what brought me here today to do brave things, to try new things. And innately, this is our magic. And if that doesn't just hit home for me, this is my magic and this is how I share it. So, you know, it's anyway, I just, it's a fantastic film. Everybody should watch it. If you're able to get your hands on the one that was made, I think it was like 2010, that's the refurbished English one, go for it. Please read the book. I don't own the book, but I would really like to. And that's about all I've got today. I uh, kind of word vomited, but. All right, everyone. Now, listen, fuck you. That was great, Becca. You <laughs> showed up. Listen. So many episodes of this podcast are me going, I have an idea for a video essay I don't want to write. You wrote it. You wrote the video essay. I'm looking <laughs> at it right now in your hands. It was fucking excellent. Screw all the haters. Beck is great. Life is hard. Kiki's delivery service. Let's go. So, <laughs> let's go. Oh, dealing with depression and burnout. Let's fucking go. Fun story from my work. Um, they had a deep clean come in and tear apart my whole goddamn kitchen. I work in catering, and so I spent two hours not being able to do my job the way I intended, so I got to sit in a corner and work on my script and my Hello Kitty notebook. So, it, you know, shit works out sometimes. All right, cool. I'm trying to think if I want to, what things in your big spiel I want to react to versus do I want to just jump into character stuff. I think the thing that stuck out to me was magic used, like, because all magic, whether it's... I'm going to flub up the guy's name. It starts with an F. I want to say, like, Flibian, but he's his introduction to magic in D&D &D was, like, you write down the spell, you use it for the day, and then your brain forgets it, so you have to reread it. But all magic, Warcraft, Earthsea, whatever have you, it takes something from you. You have to recharge. So using that known magic as a source you have to recharge as a reflection for burnout, fucking genius. Fucking genius take. Shout out to those people. But so... Here's my question. What about this universe and this millennial experience kind of excites you about making a character? What type of synapse fire when you think OC for a Kiki's delivery service thing? I, so if I was like, let's say this is a self insertion OC. I would love to be able to experience. So in this, in this town, you don't see witches. Um, I think like a whole, idea is that witches are were they were kind of uncommon in people's grandmother's time you know out in the countryside where witches flourish away from the hustle and bustle but in the city you don't find them and i i think i would be fascinated to be around one the idea of meeting a witch in a pastry and bread shop is just i i feel like i would want to be her coworker in that bakery getting to experience her on a holistic level but not necessarily needing to be a witch myself i don't know if that really makes sense i consider myself to be 
a tiny kitchen witch in my own life. Um, okay, so. so something of a reverse Kiki, a, a big city girl who wants the cottage core, wants to go find the magic. That's where you want to go with this? No, oh, absolutely. No, you can find like 10 of those on Instagram. For me, <laughs> I think I would just, you know, it's kind of like being grounded, but also being open to the things that I don't understand. So like in my own life, I don't have a job that makes me feel like, wow, I'm so artistic and fulfilled. I, I have this job because it makes me good enough money that I can live a decent quality of life. Yeah. And I work ugly hours so that I can have a decent quality of life. So I would live in the city because there's a level of excitement to it and there are opportunities, but then like to see this relic of another place I mean, it's not really very relevant, but her mother is, like, a, a her basis for magic are potions, and she does a lot of potions based on herbs and florals, and I'd love to learn about those things from her, just kind of observing the world through her eyes without being her. Weird to choose to be a side character in your own... No, 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 listen, listen, listen. This is a self-indulgent podcast. You can get a self and I have made entire episodes that are just me vomiting into this mic, this very microphone, about the high school D and D campaigns we played in a high school setting. <laughs> those those were the days, dude. Were they? Uh, they were kind of the days. They were. It was far easier to hang out with a group of your friends back then. It, I think that is the part that I am nostalgic for. It was far easier to exist. Oh, so yeah, that. Yeah, that. <laughs> um, what? I don't, man. I'm like, well, I don't have cancer now. <laughs> so, like, high school was different for me, so. Yeah, boy, howdy. But we made it. We did. We're on the other side, just like Kiki, who made it. I'm trying to think about this sidekick OC that we have and what else they would do. If you're comfortable with that and done, we could do an episode where we make, like, a few and we just spit ideas out at each other. I, I mean, look, if it was, like, same universe, but me, I mean, really, I, I would, like, you know, how many of us haven't thought about running away and finding ourselves? I'm trying to figure out where to live now, because Indiana is not the best right now. I don't know where to go, but I'm figuring it out. The idea of... Being able to do those things, to to be brave and move away from your support systems and meet somebody and step outside your comfort zone in so many ways. I mean, I would love to be Kiki. I would love to do all of those things. But with the knowledge that I have to take that time to do self-care and to meet people and push myself through the uncomfortable parts so that I can make something new. Um, and I mean, really, I guess that's the OC. I would... I just would love the opportunity. The OC is me self-actualizing, moving out of my small town. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and every, every time I'm in Chicago, when I'm there, I'm like, I'm from here. This is where I live. <laughs> you know, I I love everything about, like, I like Chicago in a lot of ways, um, but I I don't know how anybody survives the winters there. Good grief. I work at 4 o'clock in the morning, and the idea of standing on a subway platform in January makes me want to off myself. So props to you Chicagans who have lived a lifetime of lake effect. Like, kudos. I don't know what you're made of. Caramel cheese corn? I don't know what they're made of. Fucking the popcorn deep that's dish. good. Fucking deep, <laughs> deep dish and their fucking Chicago hot dogs. I love Chicago so much, and I know I'm I've, I'm from the Midwest, and I live in Indiana. So what do you do for fun on the weekends? You go to Chicago, but God, just when you when you're driving there and you see that just gray fog, I'm like, ah, I in, love this fucking city so and much. And all of a sudden, the cityscape appears on the horizon, and you're like, I mean, it 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 smells excitement, you know? Like I, I imagine it's the feeling New Yorkers have when they look at New York because I'm listening to fucking Unsleeping City. It's a dimension 20 real play podcast about fucking fantasy setting set in new york and brendan lee mulligan their dm is from new york and he's like the greatest fucking sky. and every time we talk i'm like fuck you I, i'm from the midwest i care about chicago <laughs> <laughs> oh it's, it's i mean everything that you could inherently think of about chicago that would be negative and then like multiply it times five to ten and you'll find that in new york 
Like, I can get on a subway car in uh, Chicago and just don't look anybody in the eyes. But, I mean, change your clothes when you get home in New York. You're like, Jesus Christ. Those are, that's some filthy shit. I don't know what the hell you New Yorkers are made of. This is an anti-New York podcast. (laughs) Fuck the Big Apple. That's why I didn't tell you my full name so you guys can't find me. (laughs) Only, only. Spewing some negative shit in here. Only New Yorkers I recognize the Bodega Boys. The rest of you can fuck yourselves. Yankees, I I don't give a shit. I, uh, (laughs) should be real careful just Somebody comes up, hey, you disrespect New York, and then, you know, I get, like, a fucking right hook. Only New Yorker I know offhand is Katrina, and I am very confident in my ability to beat Katrina's ass. I, 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 yeah, I don't necessarily expect to be punched by Katrina, but I feel like if she did, I'd be kind of, like, impressed. Because she's, like, a stuffed animal in person form. I feel like she'd apologize after. (laughs) Yeah, it would would be a... Wouldn't be a bad experience. Maybe everybody should get punched once by a New Yorker. You never know what you're going to get. I feel like that's, yeah, you know, there are lots of tourist traps in New York. Why isn't one of them just get punched by a belligerent New Yorker? You don't even have to pay money for that necessarily. You, you might. They might take your fucking wallet, but you don't necessarily have to pay money. Take that, New York. Damn, what did they do? We're, oh, just... Fuck. We're just from the Midwest, and so, like, Chicago's our city, and Chicago's insecure about not being New York, and I... It's it's a thing of, like, living in the Midwest, and the news cycle is like, here's what they're doing in L.A., and I'm like, well, f- I live here. Fuck L.A. That again, but New York, and I don't have, like, any part of my brain that goes, oh, New York, this is a thing I like. Like, except when I watch, like, Before We Feast, and, like how food is culture and what bodegas mean and the pillars of communities and also i like bodega boys but then i'm like fuck new york i got chicago i got chicago in my backyard i'll take the l baby my husband and i have been watching uh all the way through the sopranos and we're in the last season and man fuck the guys in new york fuck the new york gang they're all jerks (laughs) they're all they're all what is his name philly atardo he's the leader right now he's a fucking scumbag i have like two episodes to go so, nobody tell me if he's going to get whacked. I have my fingers crossed. Speaking of getting whacked, broomsticks, they, they make a whap noise when you clean, and you use broomsticks to make deliveries. Like the delivery service, bam, I found us back on track. Um, Whoa. So talented. This is why I have tens of listeners. This is, you've got 11s now. I got 11s of listeners. So, that's your self-insert OC, and I like that. I like that as an expression of how you relate to the media the podcast works in collaboratively making an oc and i feel kind of weird about like well this is how i'd take your characters in direction so do you want to make another one on top of that i'd actually be interested in because you've known me for a long time and um for those of you that don't know Devin is fantastic i have it actually saved in my phone there's this particular art piece he made of me as a magical girl and it is my favorite thing Oh, yeah, I did. Do- I forgot about that. Yes, and I, I randomly look at it when I'm just, like, having a bum day. And so, as somebody who thinks weirdly high of me, I guess, if you know, I mean, I know that you don't necessarily have a lot of experience with Studio Ghibli, so it's, there's not exactly a lot of, like, basis to explore, but if you would write me in any sort of way, how would you do it? Oh, <laughs> oh man, this is so different i love this because the skill i've acquired with having guests who aren't amber is like treating this as more of an interview and getting other people to talk so no one's like shat me a question so how would i write becca in a studio Julie movie i think it starts with you being like well i'm a side character i'm here to learn from this good witch about the potions and things and then slowly over the course of the movie I feel weird saying Becca about this OC. Let's name her NECA for now. <laughs> we'll come up with a the better name. <laughs> the giraffe neck. Yeah, that's her magic. It's all located in the neck. Nega Becca comes to realize that through empathy and kindness and sort of these various low... Like, empathy is a source of magic, right? Like, Puck from Berserk. That's a meaningful form of self-expression and way to help people. And so you thought you were here to learn, but what were you here to teach the villagers? I think that, like, that would strike me as what would happen if I were to see you at a Studio Ghibli movie. 
I'm trying to think like what I what because when I think Studio Ghibli, I think that fire thing in Howl's Moving Castle and the weird way like the fucking nasty ass demon worms move in Princess Mononoke. So I'm trying to think of like who's the who's the globby weird character you'd run into. For some, well, for some reason, I want to say a toad. I want to say like a weird oh, undulating toad. I would love a toad. Um, but if I mean, if I can offer a little vessel that might be helpful. So, Howl's Moving Castle is interesting, and it's something that I would talk about at a later date. There's the main character Sophie. Something that's a fact in the book that they really don't ever state in the movie is that Sophie is also a witch, and they never say that. But it makes more sense when you have that knowledge because. She is a witch without, like, her magic comes from the fact that she's doing it unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if she works in a hat shop. If she tells a hat that it's beautiful, it becomes more beautiful when it's placed in the hands of the customer. I mean, I would love that for my own real life. To have this unconscious magic that comes from kindness and making good decisions. And so, if we are suspending our position of disbelief you know maybe maybe i can learn magic myself and maybe my unconscious magic just comes from the friends we make along the way yeah that makes <laughs> that makes a lot of sense to me well now i'm trying to brainstorm this movie in my head but i think if it's a movie that is focused on a side character then like it can be really slice of life. That's the really nice thing about Studio Ghibli. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I was the, the I was thinking um, the fuck is Majora's Mask? What that game does very well is it takes a small town and you learn the idiosyncrasies of all these people and their various lives and personalities and going ons. And I feel like your Studio Ghibli movie would look a lot like that. And I don't necessarily think they'd be like weirdos the way they are in a Psychonauts or a Majora's Mask. They'd be more. I say like softcore whimsical, right? I think that would be more of it. And and I think at the end of the movie, everyone would come out and join hands, Fahu 4S, and Negabeka would glow with some magic. And it's like, oh, do you get it? The magic was the interpersonal relationships we spent the whole movie building. You know People what? are magic. That sounds great. I would love that. I'm just, I'm just here to have a good time. Like, holy shit. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, what are other things we discuss when we make OCs? So there's vibe, which would just be you because it's your self-insert. So would you like to describe your vibe to the audience? After that, we do aesthetics. And then that's usually it, unless you feel like there's a thing we're missing. I feel like this OC is pretty whole outside of those two things we have to cover. And then we do one fun fact apiece. So that'll be fun. All right. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like I'm trying to think of the best way to sum myself up. I'm... Oh, that's a good adjective. I guess, I'm, I mean, I, I keep saying things that inherently sound negative, but I'm not trying to. I would say, like, I'm not very exciting. I don't, like, when you think of me, I would like to think that most people's impressions is just someone that is soft and easy to be around. I mean, I kind of just keep recycling my words, but, like, I get excited about you know, trying new snacks and going to the library and baking cakes and <laughs> my socks, which do not match ever. And people's pets and their talents. And I don't know. I, I just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to throw something out and tell me how you feel about it. Not to cut you off. I'm kind of rude sometimes, but you know, some people have like, I have main character energy. Me. I have it every time I play Dungeons and Dragons. You have side character fan favorite energy like that one character who's kind of off and doesn't always get a bunch of episodes everyone's like damn i love i don't know i don't think lars would fit the bill and i'm not a no, steven who, universe fan what's from 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 my hero uh sue sue yeah sue froggy yeah yeah, yeah everybody loves the shit out of her <laughs> who's your best girl in my hero real quick all Might's not, not, not the <laughs> All Might's my best girl. Not the proper answer. Um, I love, uh, I love his mom, too. Like, I, she has a name, and I can't think of what her name is. Yeah, I'm not gonna remember it off the top of my head. It's just, uh, Deku's mom. Yeah, just, just Deku's mom. You know, she's got some, she just, like, because I would want Deku to be my son. He's just the best boy, you know? Who doesn't want, well, 
Steven gets some problems later on, but like Steven Universe and Deku and you just love their the good old wholesome boys. Deku gets some problems in that final arc. Oh. Yeah, I'm uh I'm definitely behind. But I, it's it's Tanjiro, that was the other good boy, and he's got he gets I guess they all get problems. Good lord, yeah, we all have problems. That's you can't have a character if you don't eventually give him problems. But they do all love their loved one. I was gonna say they love their mom. Steven has a weird relationship with his mom. He yeah. is his mom, so Yeah. Um, but oh, it's all Steven. real. <laughs> Some real shit. That's right. We all are a simulacrum of both of our parents. Although sometimes I get confused because I don't think I'm like my dad a lot. Dead alcoholic piece of shit that he is. And sometimes my mom will text me and she'll be like, Devin, I had to manifest the sound vibrations. And I go, what the, what? <laughs> How am I either of these people? I also have a dead alcoholic father and it. I, I do see myself in the healthy things that he had when he was, but, um, yeah, some, actually, I think growing up is a whole lot of seeing weird things, or at least for me, seeing things that I do, and I'm like, oh my god, like, I'm my brother. I've become my dad. Fucking, I, uh, not, no, fucking, fuck it, we're getting personal on the Kiki's delivery growth, service. Growth, 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 growth. <laughs> I think one of the most important moments for, like, because I, my dad sucks. He's a piece of shit. He's in hell. But, and people are like, you gotta let go and fuck you. I don't have to do anything. Uh, forgiveness is a weird thing for me, but I think one of the most important moments for, like, the let it go was, like, recognizing there are aspects of my personhood that do come from my dad, and some of them I, I don't enjoy, like, being hard-headed, but my concept of what's fair is something that's very directly tied to my dad, and that's not a bad thing. I think being able to recognize that was very important for me. It's just a thing I'm saying on air now, I guess. Getting real personal. Getting real personal of the Kiki's Delivery Service episode, but yeah. See, we like invoked all these feelings where... <laughs> now you have to give me money. Give me more money. <laughs> to everybody, give him your wallets. <laughs> like I was in New York, we brought it back. Set up payoff. <laughs> They're here. That's a vibe. Uh, what do you... Becca... Not how you dress, how you would like to dress in Kiki's delivery service. I think like any girl my age would, I would want to, like, who doesn't walk by the shops? Like, there's a particular scene where Kiki walks by a shop and there's these beautiful red ruby shoes with straps and they're shiny. And any girl that age is going to look at shoes like that and dream of having them. And I think it would be this mix of... I mean, kind of how I dress in real life. I like high-waisted skirts and soft tops, and I like shoes that make me look taller than I really am. And, you know, when I'm walking in the woods, sometimes I want to dress like I'm a, I'm a fucking fairy, and I, I think it would be very situational. Most of my clothing ends up being work clothes today because I'm always working. Um, just things that... Something that would be organic looking and comfortable probably have an apron on a lot of the time let's say you're working in a bakery you're an artist whatever my character is doing i don't know casual i suppose like like a good old anime female protagonist i just want to say on air i love this episode because using this podcast to have my friends talk about how their oc would function in a property they love is a fascinating prospect and i kind of want to do more episodes that function like this now but yeah that's we got this character feels pretty whole to me we got the outfit we got the stuff we got the vibe uh one fun fact of peace unless there's anything else you can think of like something they're missing to kind of feel whole no i think i'm i think i'm sitting real solid like I hate to say it, but I'm, I mean, I will not be the protagonist in this movie. I'll just be, a, I'll be a friend and I'll watch her and support her while she grows. It's not my movie. All right, cool. Let's see. What's a fun fact about <laughs> Becca's self-insert we've created? I think Nega Becca is very talented at landscape paintings. Oh, that'd be cool but wishes could do portraits painting the wonderful landscape and so that's great and then the thought bubble be like i want to draw the cute boy from across the way real good so mine would be let's say let's say i have one of like 
the manifesting magic that uh, I don't really control. So my socks have probably not matched um, for like, you know, years at a time. I don't know why, it's just kind of who I am as a human being. And let's say that my character puts on matching socks one day and it's just gonna like cause like little shit to like be in my way. So like, like you wild know, you, magic surge where you yeah, keep rolling like, ones. Like a little, little crazy things. Like, you know, you're walking down the sidewalk and like somebody comes by on a bicycle and like gets like the bottom of your pants wet like by your ankles cause you get splashed or like you get up to the front of the line and like the coffee shop and the one pastry you wanted just sold out. Like it's gonna be like, small irritable shit and so i will learn never ever to match my socks all right don't match your socks y'all don't do it it's you, bad mojo you heard it here you heard it first don't match your socks fuck new york kiki's delivery <clears throat> service is a reflection on the millennial experience of disillusionism when you move to a big city magic is burnout becca's been great becca would you like to plug any of your pluggables to my 11s of listeners um you don't gotta if you don't want it. it's just i don't anything yeah all i got is all i got is my facebook i'm boring and that is a sewed intro music is fucking playing right right now you can hear it right now it's playing join us next week when hopefully amber's back we recorded an episode and i sent her things to edit but she didn't do it so who knows where we're gonna be next week folks amber i want to say hi i missed you so much you came to visit I don't know if it was last year or the year before and I wasn't able to see you, um, but I hope you're doing well and I hope it's exciting to listen to this podcast and come visit soon. All right, and goodbye. Goodbye.